Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, sound like you like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. Robert Ellis has it going on. He is funny. He is savvy. He is talented beyond all measure. He can play all sorts of instruments, like tons of different instruments. He can compose for string sections and orchestras. He can produce albums. He can write songs. He can stand up on stages and perform those songs. He has one of the funniest senses of senses of humor of anyone I know. And it turns out he's actually like a really kind of sweet, sensitive guy on top of it all. And he's super good looking. Bastard. He's just, he is an embarrassment of riches. But he's also a real human being. You know, he's like a sensitive, artistic type. And he does a great job in the conversation you're about to hear of just letting you in, letting you see sort of behind the facade, if there is a facade, you know, letting you, you know, into the inner workings of Robert Ellis. He's an old friend of mine, but he's somebody that I felt like I learned a lot in the course of this conversation. I'm so glad I got to interview him. And man, I miss having these conversations in real life, but it's really great to be able to talk to an old friend, even via Zoom, even for a podcast. But um, the conversation does go on towards the end a little bit. We sort of geek out on recording studio stuff, and we you know, have some shared memory lane walking that we do together. But it's pretty sweet. I hope that nobody feels like it was overly indulgent. I know I drop an F-bomb. I don't think he curses, but... You know, just I'm trying to give you all the fair warning before it starts. Bottom line is, Robert Ellis is a really good dude, and I'm so glad that I got to give him the wheels off treatment. So here you go, Robert Ellis on the wheels off. Welcome to Wheels Off, Robert Ellis. How are you? Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Ish. Yeah, I'm as good as I can be in like a compounding uh, series of disasters. I know, right? Where are you joining us from? I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. Nice. And and this won't come out for a little while, but you and I are recording this like on the heels of the crazy Texas ice storm, big freeze. Yeah, so we missed each other. Um, I guess we talked maybe a month ago and, and texted and said, hey, let's let's do this. And then we both had crazy stuff come up and missed, missed each other twice. And then that storm hit and um, 
life as we know it, um, which is already crazy during COVID, uh, just got even crazier. And uh, I know you're not in Texas right now, but I cannot even explain to you how just like apocalyptic the whole thing felt here. There was like no gas and no food and all these rednecks and four by fours are like going 50, you know, down a residential and like, you know, I think a lot of the people here at least were like, see, this is the moment we've been waiting for. The infrastructure collapse we predicted. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. So yep. it was, it was weird. Yeah. Um, my mom was there and I was re I mean, my, my, and my sister's family and my brother's family, but it's my mom in her seventies that I was most worried about. And they didn't have heat for a couple of days. She's like, I'm just under the covers. God. Yeah. Well, uh, if she's 70, she's probably um, dealt with some crazy times before. And I, I found that a lot of the older relatives that I had, I was like, how, how is everything? Are you okay? And they're like, ah, yeah, we're fine. Can go without electricity for a couple of days, you know. I don't know. <laughs> oh my god. Well, okay. Let's get to the yeah. thing, the world that you and I can can kind of control or pretend that we can control, um, the world of our like creative lives. And I wonder what what are you working on right now, and how does it light you up? I'm doing a lot of stuff. Um, so maybe to give you a background, um, you know, up until this last year, I've made records and toured and kind of did the standard music cycle thing that we all do. And um, when COVID hit, I felt like I needed to pivot. Uh, You know, the world was forcing me to pivot, but it had also been something I'd wanted to do for a long time. Like um, the Groundhog Day sort of like wash, rinse, repeat situation. I'm just like making a record, putting it out, touring it, doing press, doing that again. Like it just started to kind of wear on me. So um, I just, I kind of shifted gears. We, I was living in Austin and right around March when South by Southwest got canceled, I was like, okay, I need to get my shit together. I need to buy a house. I I need to move. Um, And we moved to Fort Worth, which is, you know, it's, it's different than Austin. It's like a, it's been an adjustment, but the real reason I moved here is because my good friend, Josh Block has a studio here called Nile City Sound. And we've, we've been partnering and producing records together. So basically since this all started, I've been in the studio kind of nonstop and um, I'm still writing and I'm still, you know, pursuing my career, but in a much more relaxed way than I ever have. Um, And yeah, I'm just focusing on, I don't know, just trying to generally be creative and not so like album Robert Ellis oriented, you know, like finding ways that I can play music and make music happen um, that aren't so direct. Um, and yeah, we, we just finished, you know, Zach, um, Zach Williams from Lone Bellow. Mm-hmm. We just, we just produced a record for him. And, cool. um, I did one over the summer for this New York artist called Belliver. Um, he's like a really weird folk artist and, um, I'm really excited about that one and just kind of going, going, you know, um, it's been cool. It's funny, I've always thought of you as this a weird kind of hybrid because you you're such a great sort of frontman entertainer, but you're also I feel like you're such a great guitar player. Like thank you. Well, I mean, I, I think you play mul- <laughs> multiple instruments, but I was blown away when I figured out like you actually play guitar, like you play the hell out of a guitar. Does it feel weird to de-emphasize right now like the Robert Ellis brand as like a 
performer, frontman, lead singer, whatever, and build up. I mean, it feels like maybe you're more of an artist and less of a brand. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was definitely a pivot that I needed to take for my own sanity. Um, and also, you know, talking about branding, that thing that you're saying, like, um, oh, I never really realized how how good of a guitar player you were. That is a branding error on my part. You, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like for a long time, I haven't really been telling the whole story of like what it is that I do. And I think that it's, you know, I think it's important. Like the records that I've made, uh, many of them I self-produced and I did all the string arrangements and I played a lot of the instruments. And like, I, I think you think of a guy like Blake Mills and in the same sentence that you say, oh, I love his songwriting. You also say, and I, I love, the other musical stuff that he does. And I think that was sort of an error, whether it be my own or, or um, you know, the people that I worked with in sort of getting the music out there. Cause I, you know, what I do is there, there are times where I've been like in um, very mainstream commercial situations. And I feel like my music does not land the way that it should. Um, and I, I just over the years have gotten the feeling that what I'm doing is for a more nuanced audience. And there are like musical things in it that will really appeal to some people and really not appeal to most people. And I think I'm just struggling to find those some people now, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Because it's um, it sounds like uh it sounds like that thing of where you're what's the the hum, humble brag or whatever. Like I'm too good for all these du- dummies, but, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but, but I get you. Like I had the head of electric records years ago say, you're just too sophisticated. And I was yeah. like, I thought that was a good thing. <laughs> right. Like, no, I, I mean, I think that um, it's just, there are different kinds of music and they're all valid. You know, some people listen to music because they want to be challenged. Some people listen to music because they want to feel at ease. They want to feel comfortable. Like music is wonderful because it can do all of those things, but everyone's relationship to it is different. And I think for a while I've made music that is semi-challenging, but presented in a context that is supposed to feel easy, you know? And and I don't know that that's, that's kind of a bait and switch, you know? (laughs) Like, well, and I and I wonder. There was a time when the people that would go out on the stage didn't write their own material, and then mm-hmm. it became um, important for the artist to have a voice where they were saying their own thing. And then at some point, and it was probably the collapse of the music industry around the turn of the millennium, it became important for the artist to be able to walk out on stage, present the material, have written the material, and also now be a marketing genius who can (laughs) figure out, I mean, because like you describing that you didn't know how to properly contextualize your talents, I'm thinking like, well, I mean, how can you possibly do everything? Like you're already pretty much doing everything. You can play all these instruments and be a songwriter and, you know, go out and deliver the material like you do. That's a lot. It's, I mean, the hardest part to me is the, is the latter, the, the presenting you know the um especially like you know instagram and like what you're doing it's it's just so difficult um and that's one reason i think this podcasting thing is such a great medium for people like you and i that i I mean i struggle with what to post 
you know, like I put it up there, I have like a caption and then I'm like, ah, I hate this. <laughs> I hate what I'm saying. And like, I, and I hate myself because I am like checking it. Like how many likes did that get? What are these comments? Like, I hate that. I hate yeah. myself when I do that. But this, you know, this is like being on a stage and people get a real glimpse of who we are, like in the moment, quick, it's moving fast. Um, and I think that's part of the challenge is, you know, you, you hear so much from, from labels and managers, like we need, you need to add content. You need to do this. You need to do YouTube videos. And the, the large thing that they're saying is right. The thing that they're saying is you need to show people who you are, but the specifics of how you do it are up to you. You know, like it's not going to work the same way for everybody. Like, I think that I come off as disingenuous and sarcastic when I make a video that's like, Hey everybody, I want to tell you about the new record. Like, you know, like I, I see it when I look at the video back, I'm like, you look sarcastic. (laughs) (laughs) It's just not my medium, you know, it's exhausting too. Exhausting. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, it's funny that you bring up the this, the podcast thing. Like, this is the one thing out of all of it right now. Like, I've got so many things that I'm just flailing around in that I, I really love this. And it's the one thing I've made zero pennies at ever. Like, I've never made one penny off these podcasts. But I swear, every time I do it, I feel like I learn something. I'm inspired, especially now because I miss talking. Like, you and I would normally have, meet up at South by Southwest, hang out in a green room, have a conversation kind of like this. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, and, I know. Yeah, I don't blame you. I feel bad. The, the whole... I had a friend call me up yesterday and say, Glenn Phillips of all, like really sweet guy. I've known him forever. He um, was in Toad the Wet Sprocket. Is in to- they've had a new record. And he's like, so what does your team do to make the social media assets for you that you're putting up? And I'm like, dude, <laughs> there's no team. There's just me learning how to use an app on my phone where I take a dumb picture of my face and put letters on. I don't know what yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Well, at least, you know, you're doing it. I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's it's hard it's people don't realize how intimidating it is especially for um for people as vain as we are <laughs> <laughs> and it's all fear fear motivated yeah, yeah. okay i'm okay. like they're not gonna like me they're not gonna like me yeah right so okay so the the fun part like when this was yeah. all starting for you and you were a kid and it was dawning on you that you were probably not like the other kids did you know it was going to be music? Did you know you were going to be standing in a white tuxedo in front of people and the top, you know, whatever. Did you know you were going to be doing this? Like, was there an epiphany moment for you? I was, I was super fortunate. Like I grew up in music, started playing piano before I could talk and guitar around the same time. You know, like uh, my mother was a wonderful piano player and teacher and she was interested in jazz and country and classical and, uh, I just, I grew up with that stuff, like, in a collaborative way, you know, like, um, it was, it was just something that we did together. You know, my uncle was an amazing bluegrass guitar player. And at family events, at Thanksgiving, you know, like, Christmas, there was just always music, there were songs. And it was like, what you did to participate it felt like, you know, it was never like, you're going to play music. It was like, I want to participate in this conversation. uh, And I want to relate to you guys. Um, So like, it was super early. I mean, I don't know that I 
um, really had a choice but to go into anything but music because I just I took to it so young and I loved it so much. Um, and I think it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, like you get to a certain point when you're 12 years old and like basketball is really not an option. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I was just doing it so much and I had gotten to a level where it was like, okay, I'm good at this. I want to keep reinforcing this. Feels good, you know, to, to try something and achieve it. And then you just keep like sort of zooming out and that's your whole life you know you find something you like doing and you hit goals over and over and that's exciting yeah. yeah it's so many times when i have conversations with artistic people um it's it's about sort of that they were lonely and they created this artistic world sort of by themselves for themselves and their you know whatever they were working on became their friend or their community or whatever the thing about musicians that always stands out to me is, and your story more so than most people, is that it's such a collaborative thing. Like it, like yeah. the the cure for loneliness is is built into that. And I wonder if part of what has drawn you to be the producer that you are now, and emphasizing that part of you, like that's that's the little kid who's like sitting in the room full of people wanting to have the conversation. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and I relate to those elements of like songs are an escape um, and they're sort of your way out. But I think that that it's a little bit, um, it just depends on how you look at it. They're your escape in the sense that you find your community and that happens somewhere else through song. But it's not, it's still not an alone thing. Like if you love John Prine as a kid, like he's your friend. You know, what I, mean? you know yeah. what I mean? Like you relate to his music. I, I think it's the same thing. Um, you find people you have a common interest and passion with and whether you're physically with them or you just have this kindred love of something, you know, it connects you. And, and that's important, I think. Uh, and producing, yeah, producing is the same way. It's like when all this was going down, I feel like the writing was on the wall that we weren't going to see each other in the green room for a while, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and it just seems so clear. I've wanted to pivot and do producing for a long time. And I was like, this is completely doable. We can get five, 10 guys in a room, get everyone tested and make music together and do this in this controlled way. As long as we're careful and we really, you know, do this the right way, we can continue to make music and be collaborative. Um, but the way that I was doing it before, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not sure it's ever going to exist like that again. I hope it does. But um, I, I just, I, and also I just, I couldn't go a year doing nothing. <laughs> you know, if, if it was going to be a year, I definitely wasn't going to just sit around and be like, wait for them to call me for the next tour. Let me know when we can go out again and do what we absolutely love. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I think about the the very first time you and I ever played that I remember ever playing together was a South by Southwest gig. Um, I don't know if you remember this. Maybe you had, were you on New West in 2010, mm -hmm. 11, 12, somewhere yeah, in there? You guys were at the same time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so um, I remember meeting you and just thinking like, I've never met more of a rock star. Like this person <laughs> was like so born because you were like, uh, you were you were so young. You had hair down to your ass. You had you're just like all your chops were there. And I was like, this guy. And at the time, I was almost like, 
you know what? Screw this guy. He's like, got, he's got way too much going on. And you seemed like you were so supremely confident. And then I've gotten to know you over the years and you're a, a human being with <laughs> depth, complexity. Um, but I wonder, because it's so easy, you know, to look at you and think you've got it all right. I wonder for you what it's like on the inside. Like I imagine and I know this for a fact because you and I are friends, you do have to sort of battle through self-doubt, um, those the tricky internally generated obstacles, you know? And I wonder like how you've dealt with that. And and I just, I think about how surprised I would be if I went back in time and knew, you know, just, just how much you did worry in, in your own brain. Yeah. I mean, I just, the so- I was writing a song yesterday that is completely like it's it's pretty down it's it's the song is called yesterday's news and the tune is just about um i just how quickly everything moves and just this feeling of like you know if you asked me when i was like 16 years old what i wanted to achieve like it would be led zeppelin at you know like uh a huge arena like it would be music on this like gigantic level you know like that's really what I envisioned for myself and I think that's what I wanted to manifest um but I you got to be honest with yourself you know like I had that idea but the music that I loved like really connected with and wanted to play and the music that I eventually made it's not the music that connects in an arena (laughs) you know like too sophisticated Maybe, or just like, you know, who's the biggest icon in our genre? You know, it's like, and and I don't mean past, like current. I mean, if it's like people that are out playing and stuff, if it's Isbell. Yeah, Isbell, Isbell or John Prine or no longer with us, but you know what I mean? Like still you're talking about a few thousand people, you know, you're not (laughs) talking about uh, a Madison Square Garden. Yeah. It's like there is a difference and that is super uh exciting and admirable and like it's amazing but they're they're different things and I think to varying degrees like I just I have to be I'm cool with it. Like I'm psyched if if there's 200 people that are connecting to my weird music in a room, it's it's rad. You know, and yeah. it's like um I d- I definitely don't like uh, feel conflicted. Uh, I know the reason that I'm not playing in arenas, if that makes sense. And if I wanted to do something to change that, I think I would have. Um, I just, you know, you have I, to be honest with yourself, I guess, I, about what it is that you're doing. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I wonder though, I wonder if the thing you had done was to like stop down, calculate how you could be something you're not. Yeah. Like, I, I yeah, wonder yeah. if. I wonder if that would have worked though, because it seems like the thing, one thing that keeps coming up in these conversations is that kind of um, um, false approach, just the, the sort of um, the back, um, the retro, what's it called? Backwards uh, engineered thing yeah. where you're like, yeah, yeah. okay, well, Coldplay is the only people, you know, right now that are filling up arenas that still play guitars or whatever. Imagine mm-hmm. drag. I don't even know. Like yeah, there's, yeah. there's so few of them. That even, <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, like, I just wonder, like, 
you would have had to be a different person, probably, right? Absolutely, yeah. Because people sense when something is honest, I think. You know, like they really, I think they can feel it. And I was just having a conversation the other day with someone. You hear people talk about mainstream music sometimes in this way that's like, oh, that's fake. Uh, You know, that's that. I actually don't think so. I think that those people are doing a real honest thing. Like, I think that these big country stars who sing about trucks and beer and all this stuff, like, that's not fake. Like, if it was fake, I think people would sense it. Like, I really think these people like the stuff they're talking about. And they're excited when they get that single from that writer. They're like, this is a banger. This is going to be like, they appreciate that music in a way that you or I could not and wouldn't. And they sell it. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I think you, they would have to believe it to be able to walk out there and do it, right? It's not like a filter you can pop into a recording to make it sound like they actually believe their own bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I I, I couldn't do it. I I just couldn't do it. I mean, and as you know, uh, in this business, I think both of us have been fortunate. I, I haven't ever had like real extreme pressure, but there have been a lot of little pressures to like, you should write with this person. You should, re- you should put this song as the single. You should do this. And I feel like I've fallen prey to that a couple times um, and it hasn't worked. And, and I don't believe it anymore. You know, like all those things, like, I don't, I don't know, for like four records now, there was this narrative of like, this is going to be the one, this single is going to break it out to the next level. It's going to, you know, like, and you have this feeling of momentum, you do all this work, you do all this press, the records out for three months. And you're sort of like, this is it. We we're going to, the single is going to make radio and then everything's going to change. And it just has never really happened that way. And, you know, in the moment, I guess there's a little bit of disappointment, but then zooming out over 10 years, I'm like, Oh no, I made a lot of progress. I'm actually in a really good place right now. <laughs> like, you know, like Well, I know. Believe me, I know. <laughs> I know the story. <laughs> yeah, and you know what what um cuz you know, I'm I'm I don't know if I'm a full generation ahead of you, but I'm pretty close to that. And um I did get to experience the major label system before it all collapsed and where they would they would spend like $350,000 on an album, which is yeah insane but um but i you know i did hear that a lot and i and i was on labels with like third eye blind where third eye blind would have the giant hit and my label would yeah. be like why can't you do that and i'm like i don't know it just doesn't come <laughs> I out to i want to yeah you think i don't want that <laughs> but now i look back at those bands that had that that hit that little blip in time and they're on tours that are called like the nineties, you know, reunion tour or the yeah. endless summer from 30 years ago. Let's remember the day of nostalgia, that kind of thing. So yeah. you and I will never be saddled by a giant hit song that marks us specifically to a year. So there's that. Yeah. The artist path too is like, you know, I think that if you go back to some of these people that we admire and love, you know, you think of Willie Nelson's career and you're like, Oh man, Willie Nelson is huge if you really went back to all those records, I'm sure some of them were like really rough, you know, like he probably had a lot of ups and downs and he took the artist path. And now that he's 70 something years old, we see this like full picture and we're like, that's great. I admire that. But there was definitely 
all those struggles. It wasn't yeah. like, you know, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think all those old, older artists like have, if, if nothing else playing with some of those guys and talking to those guys has like kind of put me at ease to just like take it all and try and look at big picture and just continue to charge forward, you know, yeah. be the last man standing. <laughs> Well, I think there's so much to be said for that. And it's something that honestly, I've always admired about your career is like, I feel like you've, every record is new and different and you're, and you just keep going and you keep making great stuff. And I feel like every single record that comes out takes you further along, you know, and I just, you're still doing it. I really think, I think it's great. And I love that you're Thank pro- you. producing now. I'm so excited to hear more of this stuff. I'm psyched. It's so fun. I haven't, um, we're mixing Zach's record right now Mm -hmm. and we did string arrangements for like four tunes. Um, like, you know, we recorded with the band and then the way the string arrangement thing works is like, once that's done, then I spend a month in my computer, just like arranging everything. And then now in COVID world, you know, prior you would have the string players in and you would conduct a session and that would be like a really wonderful day. But now everyone sends in their string tracks. So the players were in New York and they're amazing players, but I just was like, here you go. Here's just the music. Um, And then you get all the tracks back and I still haven't heard what we did. Wow. (laughs) And I'm just like, I just want to hear it. Like I've heard it in my head, you know what I mean? But I, (laughs) and so I'm really eager to get this record mixed um, and just to, hear everything like once it's mastered too and just be like months and months of work like it's the satisfaction of like a long form project you know it's like how people must feel when they write a novel or something it's you get all these little gratifications um from writing songs and from when you're doing a long form project it's like it's like making a movie or making a novel or something you finally get to see the thing like and until it's done, done, it isn't the thing. You, you yeah. Know, like, <laughs> it, it makes me a little sad that you don't get to go watch the orchestra do the thing no. that you wrote. Because, I mean, it, that's such a rare thing to create on a piece of paper. Like the musical notes that will make the sound that this fucking string section is going to do. Yeah. And I think that would... I. I couldn't do anything close to that. But I think that being able to stand there and watch it come to life would be such an incredible, un, you know, um, like there's nothing like that. That's so gratifying. It's so gratifying. And I'm, you know, like I have a background playing classical stuff. Like I played violin in school, but I'm definitely like the, um, you know, sort of redneck, like rocker, (laughs) rocker guy in the room. Like I wouldn't say that what I'm doing is super sophisticated, especially for string players who've made this their life's work. So when you're in the session and you're able to conduct and, and just be like, hey, I, I wrote a fermata there. Is that what I mean? Like, usually they'll be like, oh, I think you mean this and you can just sing it. And some of the stuff that isn't on the page exactly correct can still come across. With this, I was just like obsessing, trying to make it right. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, you know, like it needs to read right because I'm not going to be there. Yeah. Can I remember I made one record with George Draculius in, oh, whatever, four or five. And it was, they had just figured out ISDN lines. And one of the big things people would do back then would be to have like 
the Ukrainian orchestra, you'd send them your music and then you'd be on an ISDN line and they would be performing it and recording it. And it was wow. all very insane. Some yeah. of that still exists. We use this program um, called Sound Movers, especially for mixing. And I've done, I've done it for a couple sessions that I couldn't attend. But um, Josh, my partner, will just like pull up audio movers is what it's called. And it gives you a live feed in your headphones of everything that's happening in the studio. And you can like chime in. And it's been super great during COVID because we can have the artist who's in Nashville or LA or whatever be listening to what we're doing if we have to do an overdub that they can't be there for, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. I've used that with Vance Powell for mixing and it's, boy, thank God for technology. Cause with everything happening yeah. right now, like you and I being able to talk from Fort Worth to the Hudson Valley in New York, like this is great. Yeah, man. I talking to you makes me wish so bad that we could be at a show together right now, just hanging out, but this is great. I'll take this. This is fantastic. Soon. Soon ish. Soon. Maybe. I mean, yeah. yeah. I'm going to get injected very soon with the vaccine um i'm just like whenever it's the, i don't even care which one i just sure. give it to, give it to me uh yeah. and and once that happens you know like i've got a kid and um so we've been extremely careful yeah. and i'm just ready to like play shows see you hang out also really want to sit in like a just like wooden bar um you know with like like wood booths and get like a big pint of beer and eat a cheeseburger i don't know why that's 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 something that i i never realized how much i like wooden i I don't know what it is but in my dream that's what it is it's like an older wooden bar yeah it's small right so like like you're not going in there right now but after the vaccine yes okay Uh, so so I, I, it's funny that I didn't realize that you had started so young and that you were like a, a prodigy, but of course you were. But I, <laughs> I wonder, I wonder now going back um, to a 21 year old version of yourself, what advice you might give if you were to run into yourself, Robert Ellis in today's world, what advice you might give yourself? I, I think it goes back to what we were talking about. Um, just don't make concessions don't ever make concessions. They, they are not, they're not real. They're not meaningful. And I haven't made a ton, but the few that I have, I'm just like, I, I hate them. I just, I want them to be removed from the internet, (laughs) you know, like, and, and it's not even necessarily that the thing that I did was bad. It was just that it wasn't what I wanted to do. And someone else said I should do it. And I just, I wish I hadn't. I wish I never made one concession. And I'm now I'm in that mindset, but definitely at 21, you know, they dangle um, all this stuff just right out of reach. And they say, everything's great, but if you just do this one extra thing, you can reach it. And it's not real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder, because I kept thinking that these people that said that they knew the the one thing I needed to do, like I felt like they knew, right? Yeah, they know, yeah, yeah. They know the secret. They must. <laughs> but there must be someone who knows a secret or some secrets. But I don't know if I ever met them. No, and as you know, as we get older, and we're like in a lot of these conver, you know, as I've gotten into the business side, and I'm like in meetings with people in these positions, I'm realizing more and more like oh, they are just completely winging this call. They're just like eating a sandwich while their phone is on mute 
And then as soon as they can, they say whatever pops into their head so that they can keep their job. And it's not like there's been like a bunch of thought put into any of this stuff. It's just like a, a, you know, a boardroom meeting at an ad agency. Like someone's job at that agency is to talk about uh, continuity. So he needs to say something about continuity in the call. Like he needs to chime in and say something. And I think that's what most of these people are doing is just like, what if, what if you did this? <laughs> you know, like, and not all of those ideas are uh, something that somebody said to me early on. And you know, this guy, well, that stuck with me so much, Gary Briggs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Gary, I love to death. And he said something early on to me that I just thought was so poignant. He said, look, nobody knows your music better than you. He's just like, whatever advice I give you or anyone else gives you, we at minimum deal with your music for six months, 12 months. He's like, you have lived with it your whole life. You know the answer. So if I ever suggest something and you know it's wrong, tell me. And I was just like, that is the most mature, you know, it's something that you don't hear from people in A&R. You don't hear it from other music business people. And I was just so appreciative. That guy, you know, he worked at Reprise and did like Prince is 1999 and, you know, like Neil Young and like all this stuff. So he was, the artist temperament was something he understood and protected. And I just wish there were more people like that, you know? (laughs) I, I love that. I, it's funny that th- that comes up more and more in these conversations is that the main tool we have, or maybe the main superpower that we have as artists is our instinct, right? Yeah. And when people start second guessing or, or going to some sort of a, you know, like, oh, what is it when you, what is it when they put together a room full of people to listen to your record and tell you whether it's good or not? Focus group? Yeah. Like when they start <laughs> focus grouping stuff and, yeah. and like, that's the antithesis of what we should be doing. So yeah, it's true. You know what to do. Not some guy who's just like eating a sandwich and chiming in for five seconds. Yeah. And the whole idea of a radio promoter, Ugh. I I cannot for the life of me figure out how uh, basically the whole budget of the record funnels down to this one guy who, who, and it just on his gut, he decides where you put all the focus. Like, what is that? That's crazy. <laughs> you know, like, and it is usually a guy, which yeah. usually an older white guy. And I just, it, it's, and he just says, this is the single because I listened to the record and I think so. And now all of the effort to make the record, we're going to pour all of our attention and focus into this one part of it. And this is what the story is going to be. It's going to be this song because I think so. And we'll give it three months. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, it's bizarre. I don't know how else they would do it, you know, but it does feel like with Spotify and stuff, some of that process has become democratized yeah. where like people get to decide what the single is. And that makes more sense. Um, and maybe you can sort of take some of those cues, put stuff out, see what people respond to, and then put energy behind the thing that feels like the thing that people are responding to. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know. I mean, I think a lot about shows. You know, in my mind, the single is the song that in the crucible of performance is, is felt, you know, that connects. You play enough shows for a new record, and it's pretty clear at the end of the tour, like, oh, this is the one. People every night love this. And you start putting it at the end of the set. 
you know, in the right place and it just, it works. And historically uh, that song has not been the one that yeah. the people I've worked with have chosen as the oh. single. <laughs> I know. And it sucks. I wonder, I feel like that's a metaphor, right? Like you, you put out a record, you tour it for a year, a year in, you know what the good thing was. <laughs> mm. Yeah, Totally. I, that's that is something that I've been thinking about with production a lot. And on my last record, the Texas Piano Man record, I wrote all the tunes. I got the band together and out of pocket paid for us to rehearse. And then I did two weeks of shows in Texas before we recorded the record. And I advertised the shows as Robert is going to be playing only the new record. So these shows, we didn't play any old material. It's just two weeks of brand new stuff. And then we went into the studio and recorded the record. And I just gained so much insight from that process, you know, because of what you're saying. Every other record is like, at the end of the year, I'm like, man, I wish we could do that record now. <laughs> yeah. You know? And in the olden days, and a lot of times with the band's first record, that is the case. You would have played the songs in shows over and over again. And then that's yeah. so good at it. Then you go and make the record. Yeah, man. I, I, God, I love that. I love that idea. I wish, um, I, wish I had done that. <laughs> You got time. You got time. I mean, I just now, I I just figured it out and I won't do it any other way from now on. You know, like everything down to track order. Like, how do you know what the track listing is? How do the songs flow? Like the only way to know that is to try them in different orders and to see how they feel. And like live is, um, it's really high stakes. You know, like when something doesn't work, it really doesn't work and you know it. Yeah, that's what it is, right? It's not like the audience is going to fill out a questionnaire afterwards and tell you. It's you as you're performing them for people. Like, that's when it becomes real to you. You feel it. Like, okay, this is working. This isn't. Yeah, that's weird. And it only happens. It's maybe it's the, uh, the, the fact of being observed. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's a lot to in the live performance thing, though. I, this is all really out there, but like, some of your personality stuff, like you on stage, it also fills in a lot of blanks and it makes things work that don't work on the page and they don't work on the record, you know, because you're standing there and you're like delivering it. So that was another thing that I thought about a lot with that last record doing those shows. Like you mentioned the whole white tuxedo thing, like trying to imbue some of that character on the album that you get from the show, you know, so that it isn't just like, it all works together. Like the show, it's about the performer. And I really, really tried on the last one. And I think moving forward, it's something I'm going to be way more cognizant of, like making the performer really seen on the record, you know, whether it's the cover and the name and the, the type, all of it, like it needs to have that sort of like charm, you know, that I love you get that. on stage. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's hard. It's really hard to do, but I think trying has got to be good. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, when the Texas piano man came out and, and everything around it with the videos and the performances and, and the album art, I just, uh, I thought, Oh my God, Robert is on fire. What is this? It was like, <laughs> well, <laughs> again, it goes back to like, where did you figure out how to market it? Who, who on your team told you to do that? They thought I was crazy. Yeah. The whole process. I mean, (laughs) literally everyone. I've told this story before, but I moved 
for the record cover, we moved a grand piano to the top of a mountain to take the photo. And it was not easy. We did it with a very small crew of people in the Texas desert. And um, it rains like crazy there. A monsoon came down while we're halfway up the mountain. Everyone's got to scramble. You know, there's like 10 people with camera equipment and a piano, like the poor producer that I hired to help shoot the video is helping me lug this piano up the side of the mountain. I mean, it was a half a mile up the incline to get to where we shot the thing and the piano weighs 400 pounds, you know, it was was stupid. It was insane. But, um, and every step of the way, uh, people on the team were like, this is, this is crazy. This is absolutely, (laughs) you know, and it's simple stuff like the song Topo Chico you know, it's about a bubble water that I really like. I at least three times heard, you shouldn't put that on the record. And I was just like, I finally hit a point in my life where I was able to just say like, you're, you're wrong. You're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'm doing it this way. I did it the other way. I want to do it this way. I don't want to fight about it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. A lot of that stuff was, uh, just more calculated. I really, I made a Pinterest board like before when I was writing the songs and thinking about the look and the type and the name and all that stuff, I made a mood board (laughs) for all of it. You know, like I love that. See, because that's where calculation is different because you're not calculating to try and make something that's going to be, you know, a massive radio smash. You're trying to make sure that you are in control of your artistic vision. Yeah. Love that. It's, it's hard. I, I advise, I teach a lot and it's something that I tell my students a lot after just after this record. I mean, I feel like I learned it fairly recently, but inspiration and triangulation, you know, with people that I produce the first step, they send me the songs they're working on. And then usually I'm like, can you also make a Spotify playlist of songs that you imagine either being on festivals with these bands or your song appearing on the radio next to their, their song. Um, And then listening to that playlist gives you a lot of insight. You know, if, if out of those 20 songs, half of them have no drums, then it begs the question, like there's going to be some sort of intimacy to what you want to do. And maybe having a drummer on the whole record is the wrong move, you know, and they can't tell you that necessarily. Um, I, and doing that for yourself, like, yeah, just triangulating what it is that you want to do and really trying to be able to describe it. It's difficult. Like you end up with really abstract associations. Like in the mood board, I had like a Donald Judd sculpture next to a picture of like Bob Wills, you know, next to a picture of like Freddie Mercury um, next to like, uh, you know, just to like an open wide open texas landscape you know and like then you start to see how bob wills is kind of sitting in a similar way to freddie mercury in this picture and so you move that picture over and then you notice like oh this statue is kind of the same shape and then you like you're like this one doesn't work this is an outlier delete it and i don't yeah (laughs) it's really weird i love that well i love the audio mood board too i'd never used one until the last solo record that sam cohen from Houston, Sam Cohen produced and he put together, he had me do what you described and he put together his own. It's, um, it's incredibly useful. It's information, right? We just, we need data. We need things that yeah. we can look at and soak up. 
Yeah. I think it makes you honest with yourself about a lot of things. Um, yeah. I just listening to other music and, and you're like, I love all this stuff. Um, and this is what I want to do, but my expectations are this other thing like that. You know what I mean? You got to make those things line up. It's yeah. like if the music and back to what we said earlier, if the music you're making is not going to change, then you need to do what you can with it. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, well, I love this. It makes me want to do shows with you. It makes me want to record with you. So all these yeah, things come down, happen. come down. Yeah. I know you're familiar with the DFW area. Yeah. <laughs> my earliest recordings were all on college street in Fort Worth where my uncle Ed had a little recording studio. So did a lot of hours there on a live to a tube two track. Cool. Yeah, it was crazy. Man. Well, you would love Niles where, so Josh built the place and it's, he produced the Leon Bridges stuff and yeah. has done tons of great music. And he built, I mean, he's a nerd and um, he was in that band white denim playing drums. Yeah. And then he played with me on a couple tours and we just became friends. And he built like his dream studio of just amazing really unique vintage gear and it's all about the live room the control room is upstairs and then the other room is just a huge live room and there's no iso booths everyone is always in the room together and that was like he built into the studio how he wanted to record so it's been been super fun i love that well thank you so much for yeah. sharing your enthusiasm and your wisdom and i'm really glad i got to hang out with you so thank you so much for appearing on wheels off Anytime. Thank you. Woo! Yeah! All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.